Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. This season, we're doing a deep dive into all things real food. We've covered bread, we've covered meat, uh, and a bunch of other stuff that's not coming to my brain at the moment. But today, it is all about fat. And fat is a really, really important aspect of eating a cleaner diet and a more whole foods diet. We've talked a little bit about fats, actually, probably a lot about fats in the past in various forms. But today we wanted to take a deep dive into two animal fats, particularly lard and tallow. These are very legitimate, very old fashioned homesteader fats. There's a lot of really cool things about them. And there's also a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings. So I think this is a really good topic just to help uh, boost our understanding of, and I have one of my very favorite people on the podcast with me today, Aww. Michelle Visser. Welcome back. Thank you. You're one of my favorite people too, Jill. Love working with you. We have fun together. How is this we our do. third episode together or our second? I can't remember. I think it's the third. I think. Yeah, I think so. I don't remember what we talked about, so, but I think it's the third. I don't oh either. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maple marketing. We went off of the alliteration. Oh, We're not yeah. doing an M thing. Maple marketing and fat. Yeah. Not exactly the title of the book. Maple marketing and fat. We didn't do so good on that, but that's all right. So, um, so for those of you who may be new to the podcast, Michelle has been working with me, I think, ever since before my cookbook launched. She helps with securing podcast guests and podcast sponsors and manages community stuff and kind of jack of all trades. So she is one of my right-hand women and keeps me from going crazy. So it's very good. Hmm. Um, I just was going to say, I also have Michelle's daughter at my house right now, which is super yeah. fun. So super awesome. Yeah, Kayla is actually in with the kids right now. Um, oh, how we've fun. Had, I don't know if she's told you, we've had crazy weather the last few days, of course, you know, we've had the snow and it got super cold and then the wind picked up. Um, and so we have her here at the house doing stuff and there could be some calving excitement. We have a goat in labor Ooh. or almost in labor. So she didn't come there for She's you. She came there for the calving. So that's awesome. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so far it's been exciting. So yeah. But you know, the snow Close here roads. in New England, like nothing shuts down. It could be 20 inches and daggone it in the morning we're heading to work. And then it, from what I hear you guys, because of your wind, like you just shut down sometimes. Crazy. Yeah. And it's, and people aren't, it's not like where, you know, sometimes like Texas, when it snows, I hear stories of like, they shut down completely because no one can handle, you know, no one's oh, has the totally infrastructure the than tires or whatever to handle yeah. it. And it's different. Yeah. Because like, uh, we had snow, I think two days ago it snowed and then it stopped snowing and it was fine. The roads stayed open. Everybody was doing their thing. And then yesterday afternoon, uh, the wind picked up cause the sun came out and that's when it got, it like, uh, glazes the road and it gets so like dangerously slick. Plus the visibility yeah. just goes to pot. So like yep. yesterday, early afternoon, I drove down to Colorado. Uh, I have a horse down there being ridden. And so I went to see him hmm. and it was fine. And I didn't think anything of it. And then I started to come home yesterday around uh, five o'clock and I crossed the Wyoming line and I got up past um, Cheyenne. It's one of the cities near us. And the, they had the interstate closed. They had the big like gates across the interstate. So I turned back around oh my gosh. and I had to go back on the back roads all the way home. And there was slide offs and like the roads. Wow. I mean, I didn't slide around. I just drove slow and I had good visibility, but the interstates just get so hazardous after a while that they just, they just shut them down. Wow. Wow. So crazy. Exciting. Kayla's getting yeah. an education in Wyoming winters. <laughs> so. 
Um, She's getting a lot of education. But yes, a lot of good education. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're not talking about soda today. We're talking about fat. And yeah. I wanted to have we, you yeah. want to talk about fat. Be- yeah, because we both love fat. And you are, you've been taking a <laughs> doesn't diet. doesn't sound like a good into, bumper sticker. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a good bumper sticker. But most whole food people, we love our fat. And we are we very do. much pushing back against that. Um, it's very outdated, but it still has held on that USDA or whoever started that dietary pyramid that fat is bad and low fat is good and you know, Crazy. low fat everything, no fat, whatever. That's so outdated, but still has a, a stranglehold on a lot of people, I think. Absolutely. So whole food people, homesteader people, we know our fat is good. So you have been taking a foray into pig production, right? Yes. We became pig farmers three years ago. It was all Bill's idea. And I'm like, whatever, hon, I'm in it for the bacon, you know, but, <laughs> but I discovered, oh my gosh, pork is a really amazing meat. I had no idea the versatility and the deliciousness of pasture-raised pork. So every year we just grow our our pig farm. And this year we're hoping to have over 20 pigs and we have lots of customers that want to buy pigs. Yeah. That's what we're hoping. So I didn't, I didn't know you were doing that many. What are you, I'm just totally off topic. What are you feeding them? Cause I'm trying to figure out how to feed our next batch of pigs better. They are pasture raised and they, this next batch I'm super excited is going to be mainly in the woods. We've done like a half and half last year, but this year, because of the number of them, because we don't have a lot of pasture per se, we really have a lot of woods cause you know, we're a sugar farm. So yeah. there's, they're going to be in the woods and they're going to have acorns and the roots and literally they eat the small trees even. And from what I hear, it makes for the best meat. So that's their primary main source of food, but we do also buy food. I mean, we, we, yeah, you have to, I don't, I don't know the right, right. way around that. So if you figure it out, please tell me, but yeah, we, I, every time we get pigs, I always feel a little bit like set, a little bit sad that I don't have woods to run them in. Cause I see those pictures of people, you know, Joel Salatin does that. And you, you even just you talking yes. about it, I'm like, that'd be like pig paradise. I feel like they're definitely made for that environment. Prairie, prairie pigs aren't, they aren't so great. It doesn't work so good. Yeah. Yeah. They just dig. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. So let's, let's dive into, to lard. So I guess let's let's set some um, definitions first because sometimes this yep. is a brand new territory to folks if you're not used to animal fat. So, yep. what what's the difference between tallow and lard? Just so everybody is clear. The main difference is the source. Tallow comes from beef, and lard comes from pigs. And with a pig, um, there are actually three different kinds of lard. I am not well-versed in tallow, so you need to take over any of that information. (laughs) But I know that, are there different kinds of tallow? Those leaf, like leaf fat, just like on a pig. So you do have leaf, okay. mm -hmm, We have quite a bit, there's a lot. So uh, leaf fat, if you hear us talking about that today, that's um, kidney fat. So it's this massive fat around the kidneys um, you can ask your butcher for that. Usually when like, sometimes they give it to you and the kidney's still inside. So you have to kind of trim that out, but it is at least for beef, it's the cleanest and and more like most neutral, I would say. Is that yes. the same for pork? Yes. Or, yes. Much, right? For pork, for pork, the main portion of the fat on the pig is the back fat. And I actually, they're all usually within reach in my kitchen anyway, but I literally put them right here in reach so I could like explain to you guys, anybody watching, and don't worry, those of you who are just listening, I'm, I'm going to describe it. Um, but 
this is our back fat that I have rendered. And if you put it side by side with the leaf fat, I'm not sure how well it shows up in the light here, but you can see it's slightly more yellow, the back fat. The leaf fat is a pure white, amazing fat. And like with um, cattle, it is around the kidneys. It's also around the pork belly. I don't know if that's also the case with cattle, but the butcher also trims some excess fat off of the pork belly, which is what's going to become the bacon. And I guess it must look slightly different. I'm not a butcher, so I haven't done this myself, but there's like a layer around it that isn't really bacon. And that's also part of um, the leaf fat. I think I just talked about both things in one now because I'm getting too excited. So the back fat is on the back of the pig. It's like that portion of thick fat. If you see pictures sometimes of like a pig that's hanging and you see half the pig and he's all open, you can see this really thick, like four inches deep layer of fat between the skin and the pork loin. It also does extend up to the shoulder area, which covers like that Boston butt cut, but that fat is going to be not as thick. So the really amazing back fat is over the pork loin. And when the butcher gives it to you, Often, if you don't ask, he's going to give it to you with the skin because that's just easier for him. So you have this you know, rather thick layer of skin that you need to peel off to get to the back fat. And then um, the leaf fat is around the kidneys, like I said, and the bacon. And then there's a third fat. And I think you have this too. I think cows, I think they're very similar in a lot of ways. It's, this is actually the cull fat. It's very oh, lacy yeah. looking. So it's also called lace fat. And this is what's around the stomach of the pig. It's like this just amazing layer that it's not, I don't think it's really easy for the butcher to take off. And I don't think it's something that he, you're, he's going to give you if you're not specifically telling him, you know, please save that call fat for me. But I love that because it's like wrapping bacon around something. You get a little bit of the bacon flavor, but it's also great for holding stuff together. So I'll, I'll make sausage with it. I'll wrap, I'll just kind of make a, a stick of meat, you know, and wrap this around it. And then I have sausage without worrying about the casings. So it's, it's, it's one of my favorite. It's like my prized fat. <laughs> I'm so impressed that you have some to show. You had some to show us. <laughs> oh, it's like show and tell. You told me you um, wanted to talk about fat and I'm like, I, I know. <laughs> and, and so for those of you, just a reminder, if you're listening to this, we do have video version available over on the YouTube channel. So that's a fairly new thing. We've been doing it for a couple months now. So I think Just people are loving it. Though. Call fat. <laughs> yes. To, yes, if you want to see call fat, hop over to YouTube. Hop over yeah. to YouTube. Um, so <laughs> I would assume you're not getting much call fat in when you get one pig butcher. Correct. I mean, it's a fairly Correct. small. Piece. True story, Jill. When I thought about the show and tell, I actually hesitated. Do I want to lay my call fat out because I don't know if I want it to lay out the whole time we're recording because it's like you know this prize yeah. thing because you don't get a lot of it. But it'll be good. Um, yeah. But. Yeah. So what you get the most of is the back fat. And it actually, if you are rendering it down carefully and doing a good job of it, it's not going to taste piggy, even the back fat. But that's people's sometimes complaint when they're comparing the two. They say that the back fat tastes like bacon. And first of all, I'd argue, is there something wrong with that? <laughs> but um, What's second of all, <laughs> if you've rendered it slow and low temperatures and you've really done a good job of filtering it, you're not going to have the pig flavor in either of them. What breed of pigs are you guys raising? Oh, goodness. That's Bill's department. Don't ask me that. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to sound like the stupid Sorry, pig farmer that has you. no idea. <laughs> yeah. 
they're cross. I know that they're cross, and he could tell you in a heartbeat, but they're the pink ones. So they, <laughs> oh, the pink. So they're so they're not necessarily like a heritage breed. They're more just like your correct or not traditional, but like your commercial regular old. Correct. We chose them based on where we live. Like we really did some research with the pig farmers in our area, and we found that they were the hardiest breed because this is not an easy place for an animal to live. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. And how much? When you, how much uh, leaf fat do you get off of one of those roughly? <sighs> I think what I rendered down just last week, I'm pretty sure it was one pig's worth. I had it in the freezer and it filled up, goodness, I don't know the stock. <laughs> Jill, how many quarts would you say a stock pot this tall is? <laughs> and this Six quarts. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than that. I think at least 12 that. probably. Okay. And, you know, obviously it's this mass of solidness that you're kind of squeezing in there in pieces, but I guess it's probably like 12 quarts-ish maybe. And really? I can of tell you when I rendered it down, this was like the leaf, leaf life. Yes. Yes. Really? Yeah. Do you not get that much in a cow? No, I get that much in a cow, but um, the first time we raised pigs, and actually the second, third time we raised pigs, I was so excited for the leaf fat. Like I had buckets out because we butchered them ourselves the first few times and I had buckets mm-hmm. ready and I was like, I'm going to have so much fat. I'm just going to go crazy with this. And oh, I, I remember was you devastated that story. when I yeah. got like, it was like this little tiny ball and the kidney was in there. And I'm like, oh. what is happening? Where's my fat? And I realized I think we had just like a regular run of the mill pig breed. I don't, I don't remember. I don't, don't know my breeds either. Hamp or whatever. <laughs> pink, pinkish. You're just making me feel ones. good, Joe. Uh, it's, I'm not a pig person. Um, but then I realized later there's large, there's large breeds and there's meat breeds. And a lot of the modern pigs are not bred for fat, but that's a lot. I feel like maybe you were, maybe now you have me wondering better diet. You have me questioning if it could also have been two pigs. It's possible because we actually kept three for our family. And I know I had already rendered some of, you know, the leaf fat, but maybe it was two pigs. So maybe it was one or two, but I can tell yeah. you also that okay. in the end I got, um, oh gosh, I'm not good at math. What's 36 sticks, 36 divided by four. Was it nine pounds of, of mm-hmm. lard when I refined it, when I processed it? That's good. So, okay. Plus That's all the good. cracklings. Do and, you get cracklings um, when you do tallow? Yeah, I got cracklings. What do you do with the cracklings? Okay. What's your favorite thing? <sighs> My favorite thing actually is cracklin bread which it's basically just using the cracklins in place of bacon and one of my favorite bacon recipes for bread. But I also really like them on salads, just to toss salad instead of croutons. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And okay. So what are you using? You said if you do your back fat gently, that it doesn't have an overwhelming like piggy taste. How do you use those two, your two jars, the back versus the leaf lard? differently? Are you putting them in different recipes? Great question. Um, I tend to not really be picky, honestly, because I don't see a huge difference, but because I see my leaf fat as extra valuable that I will use for my favorite recipes. Um, it's what I always use if I'm making chocolate chip cookies, because it makes the absolute best, which is my personal, I feel it's personally the best dessert you can make is a chocolate chip cookie. I mean, I don't know. What's your favorite? Probably a pie. I bet you would answer pie. I'm kind of a pie. Yeah, I'm probably a pie person. Or cheesecake. I don't know. Cheesecake's right up there. Mm. Well, I know for your pie, the leaf lard's great too. But yeah. 
I love mixing the butter and the lard 50-50 for my pie crust. I feel like that is the best. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I've actually never tried that. I'm going to try that. Um, So the back fat is what I will always leave by the stove for cooking. So because I feel like if there is a slight bacon taste, you know, I'd much rather it be in my skillet when I'm frying something than in my cookies. Although bacon and cookies is actually really good too. You can see I like bacon. I keep bringing that up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> doesn't bacon, bacon and maple cookie. I feel like there could be a thing. Maybe there already is a thing there. I don't good. know. Why haven't I done that thing? I you don't should know. make that a thing. I don't know. I really should. should. Oh my we, we should trademark it before anybody. Else. So I like no it. Else I like it. I better get on that. Like I get, I'll get on it this week before this episode releases. I'm kidding. Um, yep. But then with the so. leaf fat, what I love to do when I render the lard, and I actually laid this out because I'm making those cookies I was talking about tonight, I will put it into a mold. This is leaf fat. And I have these molds that make it into the perfect size for butter. So four of these sticks is a pound of leaf fat. So I will use it in baking one-to-one ratio in replacement of butter. That is awesome. I have never used it for cookies. I've done it for crusts and like shortening replacement, but not for cookies. I don't know why. And I love the stick idea because I usually just pour my lard in a jar, but that's brilliant. Right. And that's what I do. This is also my leaf fat, you know, but when you go to make your cookies, it's kind of a pain to measure out this more spreadable form than to have it already measured yeah. in my sticks and just plop it in my mixer. Um, what was I going to say? You said something that I was going to, I hate it when my brain does that. My brain does that too. A lot, a lot on podcasts. Sometimes I'm, I'm like sure. trying to yes. make it sound like I haven't completely lost my train of thought. And I'm Me like, too. this is bad. This is really bad. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody left me a review once. They're like, it sounds like you're figuring things out as you go. And I'm like, I am. <laughs> Sometimes Wait a minute. I am. Like, what's your point? Isn't that day-to-day life for everybody? <laughs> I, I feel like it is. That's why I like uh, podcasting. Because like when you write something, you I mean, there's writing yes. is good because you edit it and you can really form a thought that's clean and well, you hopefully well thought out. Podcasting, I like it though because it helps, you, it helps me process information and just like Totally. I, don't I also, I, I tell people like that are follows on my podcast that it's kind of the raw me. Like that's where you get the rawest, like who's yes. Michelle and what she really think, because you're just sitting there chatting, you know? Um, but I thought of what I was going to say yeah. like yeah. two minutes ago. <laughs> if there you're going to make, if you're going to make cookies with your tallow, I assume it's going to be like the lard. You want to cook it a little bit shorter time. Like usually my cookies, I'll do eight to nine minutes with the lard, maybe seven minutes. And then I will usually take it right off the tray. Whereas if I'm using butter, I'll let it sit on the tray to finish baking. I don't know if you do that, but with the lard, I find I take it right off and I put it on a cooling rack immediately because it's like a different consistency and it gets kind of more solid faster, I feel like, but it stays chewy and softer for days. Unlike the butter that I feel like the cookies they're just a little harder, if that makes sense. That's just my personal observation. There is nothing scientific behind that whatsoever. (laughs) No, but personal observation counts for a lot. It does. When you've been there, done that. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, since we're talking about like storage and usage tricks, when we kind of get into the tallow world, you probably don't want to make cookies with tallow (laughs) because there's a lot of similarities, but but it kind of stops when it comes to the consistency. And tallow is really 
hard when it cools. And I made the mistake um, the, the first time I rendered tallow, I poured it into a jar like I did my lard. And I'm like, once it you know cools and solidifies, it'll, I can just scoop it out with a spoon. And there is no scooping tallow with a spoon usually. Uh, it, it's very, mm. it's like rock hard. So what I have oh. done with my tallow is similar to what Michelle did with her sticks is I, I don't put it in a jar. And if you do put it in a jar, you have to like put it in a water bath, uh, you know, a little saucepan of, of warm water to get it to melt. But I will put it in like a nine by 13 pan or a, a cookie tray with a nice lip on it and let it cool that way and then cut it into bars or, or chunks or sticks. And then you can okay. freeze it or whatever. But now, otherwise, that, it's, it's not as soft. It's not as soft as lard. Do you know a way to measure it when you do that? Because I really was thinking about doing it that way before I bought my special molds, but I didn't know how to, you know, pre-measure it when you're cutting I it into bars. I don't. I'm okay. usually kind of eyeballing it. Um, but I, I honestly thought you could come out you... there with this, well, two inches by five inches and this far No, I'm not that precise. Okay. <laughs> Maybe someone else is that precise. I'm not. Um, where Oops. did you get your molds for your... Large oh, online. Um, I don't remember, but it's in my post with my cookies that I'll link in the show notes. Okay, perfect, perfect. My and I like. I mean, that could be a, a good option. Not that you're going to use tallow like butter, but if those are similar to a butter stick or a stick of butter, right? Yeah, that is the exact I mean, size. It could just I mean, be if you to... noticed, I love it. I okay. chose these molds because yeah. they even have markings of the cut of the tablespoons. Oh, Brilliant. See how it's eight tablespoons. I literally brilliant. was like enlarging the picture online yeah. and counting one, two, three to make sure was it really eight <laughs> tablespoons. <laughs> yeah. But it is. No, I that is nifty. I yeah, yeah. I like that. <clears throat> so you could use it for your towel. I'm sure it just you don't really use towel like butter. Like you're going to use it for sautéing and you're going to. It's good for candles okay. and soap. So okay. Um, have you ever done lard candles? I that, have not. Kayla wanted to before she mm-hmm. headed out there. We had talked about trying it yeah. and we just never got the ingredients we needed and we hadn't tried it. She actually wanted to. Um, but I also want to try soap. And I, for some reason, I feel like tallow yes. is probably superior than lard. Do you know in all of those things? Um, I've always I don't seen know it why used I have for that soap idea. more than lard. Uh-huh. But maybe, I don't know, maybe because lard is softer. I'm wondering if you would need some different oils to keep the bar, like hold, you know, so it doesn't just dissolve that, in the shower. Like sometimes That they makes do. sense. That makes sense. And also for like maybe. balms, tallow would be better because otherwise it would be all mm-hmm. mushy, especially in the summer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I think we may, we're, maybe we're going to talk about this later, but I'll just say it now. Like one of the cool things about these animal fats is if you are increasing, trying to increase your self-sufficiency and your sustainability, um, you know, lard and tallow are basically what we now consider byproducts of eating meat or, or raising animals. And so you're able to create this very sustainable fat source that from your land, even if you live in a harsh place like I do, I can't grow coconuts here for coconut oil and I can't grow olives for olive oil and I can't even get those locally. Like I'm having to ship those in. Butter I can do, but that's very seasonal. And so what's the most sustainable fat? Tallow and lard. And I think yeah. whether I'm cooking with it or we're doing candles and soap, like it's, it's just really, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And I also, I don't know, you know, being the pig farmer, I'm going to put a plug in for pigs that I think they're a lot easier animal too than cows. And they take mm-hmm. up a lot less space. They're smaller overall. I mean, they can get big and they can be mean, but we've never had a mean pig. Um, and I feel like they probably, I could be wrong about this, can be 
raised in more parts of the world even than cows? I'm kind of guessing because they're really they're a pretty tough animal. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I so for my book research, I've been doing a deep, deep dive into beef this week for one of the chapters mm-hmm. and just looking at um, you know, super controversial. And I'm trying to kind of looking at this chapter going, this this will be interesting to navigate in this book. Anyway, um, you know, the environmental impacts of beef, the ethical implications of beef, the nutritional Mm -hmm. impacts of beef. And I'm I'm reading all this beef stuff, but pigs keep coming up along Mm -hmm. with it. And a lot of these talks about beef being environmentally um, better because they're like pigs and chickens. They should go along with the beef production because they are so good at being basically trash recyclers. Not like, you know, pop cans and paper trash, but like your food. And traditionally in many parts of the world and even in the U.S. 150 years ago, they were they were like the the cleanup crew. And you didn't have pigs because you wanted bacon. You had pigs because you needed a way to create meat out of your food scraps. And it makes so much sense. So I feel like they are like cattle need grass and room and pasture and fences. And I mean, pigs need fences, too, but. They make a lot of sense for a lot of areas. Yeah. And it is a huge benefit of having pigs. Like you literally never waste anything. Chickens are pretty good at helping with that too. But man, there's nothing that goes to waste mm-hmm. if you have pigs. <laughs> yeah. And if you have, for those of you who have milk cows or you're looking at milk cows, I feel like they're peanut butter and jelly because the pigs, you ha- you're going to have extra milk. You're going to have soured milk or curdled milk and the pigs put that to really good use. And it's just a yes. neat symbiotic relationship. Yes. When we had a dairy cow years ago, we had wanted pigs and just, well, I never really thought I wanted them, but Kayla had always really wanted pigs for that exact reason that you said. And it's kind of sad that we never had them at the same time because they are very symbiotic. Yeah. Okay. So we've waxed poetic about lard and towel a little bit, but let's answer, I think there's maybe the elephant in the room of, Mm -hmm. are these actually good for us? Because these are fasts Mm -hmm. that were demonized by the food people, (laughs) the food establishment for a long time. And sometimes there's still the fats that, you know, the dietary guys, the experts, whatever you want to call them, I'm trying to be polite. Um, They'll still say, you know, those are bad for you. It's saturated fat, avoid them, stick with your heart healthy oils like canola and vegetable oil. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, It's so hard. Even when you think you're with a pretty reliable source, like you said, you'll see them talking about heart healthy oils and you're like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? Are you talking about canola oil? No, thank you. <laughs> okay. So yeah, are, yeah, is this is this all natural fat good for us? It's the same thing when I was writing all about making maple syrup that I was kind of overcoming these arguments that, oh, it's sugar and you should avoid sugar. No, it's a natural sugar. You should not avoid it. Same thing with fats. It, every single cell in our body has cholesterol in it. There's fat in every cell. Our cells need it. I mean, this is, we're talking at a very basic level. We need fat. All of our organs need it to function well. The first organ that I always think of, because it's, it's huge when it comes to fat is the brain. Our brain needs fats. It does not function well without them in a couple different ways. It doesn't function well because it can't create new neurotransmitters without cholesterol. And then on top of that, it's going to sound cliche, but it's actually true. 
having a low fat diet leads to depression, not just because it's like, oh, I want the fries, you know, (laughs) but it literally does. Scientific studies have shown that there are chronic depression problems in groups of people who are not eating natural good fats. Mm-hmm. On top of that, fats have vitamins in them. Like there's B vitamins and vitamin D. I had no idea about the vitamin D. I'll get to that in a second. But I also, before I forget, want to say that not only do they have vitamins in them, without these fats, our body cannot absorb a lot of vitamins, vitamins that are fat soluble. So they come with vitamins and we also need them for all the other vitamins. But then getting back to that vitamin D, it is really high. It's found in high concentrations in pig lard, which when I started thinking about it, I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. The pasture pork is out in the sun all day and the back fat, you know, I told you how that was right there Mm -hmm. on their back, obviously it's soaking in the sun. And it is, it has a very high concentration of vitamin D. I actually looked it up now. We were going to talk about this to see, well, does tallow have vitamin D? And it does, but not nearly the concentration of pork back fat. I don't know why I didn't dig deeper. That is interesting. I don't, I don't know. Interesting. Although I did read that you really don't process the back fat on the cow, right? Maybe that's part of it. and we don't, yeah, we don't have as much there on a cow. Okay. Like really okay. a lot, like at least for us, a lot of the fat, especially our grass fed cows are leaner. So we're mixing in a lot of the extra fat into the, it's grind, it's grounded right. in the ground beef. Right. And then, so the, the kidney fats really, we're going to get that mass. Okay. So that would make sense. It doesn't have the high concentration of vitamin D because that's down in around the kidneys, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although if you really want high concentration of vitamin D, I know you did an episode not long ago about this. You need to be eating your liver and your kidney from your cows. I read and that they're both high in vitamin D. They are. Yeah. And just interesting, speaking of past episodes, um, Carlin of just ingredients, that's been a really popular Mm -hmm. episode. We talked about processed food ingredients. Yeah. And she said, I mean, you probably, I think you listened to it, but her whole prompting for getting into whole foods was she was so depressed. Yes. Um, She even had like attempted suicide because she was feeling so horrible. And when she got, she was able to get in and work with a natural doctor and figure out what she was missing and deficient in and fix her diet. And that's been the ticket for her. So I totally, yeah, there's, there's some major correlations there. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of everything else, it fills you up more than these processed fats. So when you're eating real fat in your diet, you feel more full and you're not going to eat extra junk, you know? I, it's, it's funny. I, I do pretty good, like controlling my, you know, not eating a lot of processed foods. I I definitely cheat. I'm not a purist. People know that. But when I get like an insatiable, uncontrollable craving for like potato chips of all things, like I don't really eat a lot of chips, but I almost like, I can't stop myself. It's when I have not eaten enough fat and protein throughout the day. Hmm. Like, it's almost like my body is just like, you've had too many carbs. You've had too many simple sugars. Like you need, and then it goes to the potato chips, which are not a good, not a good option, but it's just like, it's, it's craving something more. And so I found that I, which is counter intuitive to what diet culture has told us. Like I am able to manage my portions and my appetite better by eating more fat, more protein versus filling up on all the low fat, low calorie stuff. Yep. Yep. And it makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. So these animal fats are good, right? What about like, you know, what the processed realm of things? Like, hmm. how do we counteract all this messaging about canola oil being good and vegetable oils being good? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, <clears throat> I mean, who's benefiting from these processed fats? There's a lot of money being made is who's benefiting, you know, the, the margarine and the Crisco processors. <laughs> um, I feel like before I go any further, because I have some cookbooks that span the ages and some of them refer to shortening. So I, I want to like clear up the fact that shortening, mm-hmm. in my mind, that's Crisco. And if I say the word shortening, I'm talking about yes. Crisco, which, you know, it's bad, <laughs> very bad. Um, but shortening officially, you'll see it mentioned in old cookbooks because what it really is referring to is any fat that is either solid like tallow or spreadable like lard or or butter at room temperature. So there are good shortenings. I just want to say that before like I talk dirty about shortening. <laughs> um, but um, anything that basically anything that's hydrogenated is what you want to avoid. And hydrogenated simply means it's been made in a lab. They took any um like I saw one person describe it once as a parking space. If there's any parking space in a natural fat, any open space in the lab, they fill it with hydrogen. And the reason they do that is it makes it a better consistency at room temperature. And it also gives it an amazing shelf life and it's cheap. So the manufacturers love it because it can sit on the shelf forever and they can sell it for a lower price and still make big money. So, I mean, you're going to find it in any hydrogenated fats. Unfortunately, you can't just avoid it by not buying the canola oil. Unfortunately, hydrogenated fats are in so many things, not just the margarine and the Crisco, but they're in almost all your packaged foods. And if you're going to buy like the baked goods at the grocery store that you think, oh, can't be as bad for me as the stuff wrapped in the cellophane wrap, right? Because somebody actually baked this and it's got to be good for me. No. It's going to have the hydrogenated oils in it. And by all means, whatever you do, never, and I know you haven't, I know I never have, but never buy that ready-made cookie dough. Like, first of all, what's the point of that? Like, isn't the fun part of cookies making the cookie dough? (laughs) But never buy the ready-made cookie dough because that's loaded with the hydrogenated oils. Um, Did I answer your question? I don't even know. I I get on a tangent. Um, just, yeah, I was just curious, like health ramifications of like canola and and vegetable mm. oils, why they are bad for us. But that was a good right. point about the hydrogenated because that is a, that is everywhere. And I've even seen, um, there's hydro, like our Walmart sells hydrogenated lard. So you're like, I'm getting yes. lard, but it's actually not the good lard. I just recently saw it. We call it, it's a market basket where I live, our main grocery store. And I just saw hydrogenated lard. And I'm like, what? Like at first I saw the big four letters lard and it like caught my attention. I'm like, wait, cause they actually sell at this market basket, like Amish made real butter, really good stuff. Mm. So I first I thought, wait, could it actually be good lard? But then no, as soon as I got a little closer, I realized, oh, it's hydrogenated. <laughs> okay. So yeah, as far as what it does bad for us, like I have, I have my paper here because this is stuff I couldn't even remember all of it. Like I know it causes diabetes, it causes heart disease, it causes cancer. But in one of my articles that I've written um, on my blog about why you should bake with the natural fat instead of the processed fats, I've linked to all these different studies that I'm going to rattle off what has been scientifically shown is caused 
by hydrogenated oils. They reduce milk supply in breastfeeding women. They increase chances of diabetes. They increase osteoporosis. They lower testosterone. They lower natural sperm count. Am I allowed to say that? They change (laughs) the gestation. The fetal (laughs) development is actually impacted. If a pregnant mom is eating processed Mm -hmm. foods, I'm getting so upset. I'm throwing my earbud. Um, (laughs) The gestational time of the baby is impacted. I mean, that's, it's mind blowing. Um, It lowers birth weight. It increases heart disease, increases breast cancer and increases coronary heart disease. That is just my own personal list that I have links showing the studies. There's more, but that, I think that's enough to give you a pretty good idea that it's really not stuff we want to be eating. Yeah. And they're just, whenever I think of like canola, the seed oils, like they're so inflammatory. I I know so many of our modern American diseases are related to inflammation and they are, I think one of the biggest culprits. So just, just stay away, I think is good advice across the board. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a purist like you were saying a few minutes ago. I do eat packaged food. I eat it. I, I, every time I eat it, I'm going, I really shouldn't be, but daggone, it's easy and it's right here and I'm hungry. (laughs) But if ever you can get away from it and I've gotten better about being choosy with my packaged food, you know, there are some wholesome real food packaged food available. Yeah. I'm the the same way. Like I feel like it's 80, 20 rule for us. We we Mm. clean at home. I'm not buying ingredients that have hydrogenated oils. Although I will say there's these Costco tortillas Mm. that are like not, they're not cooked. They're raw. They're just tortilla dough. And so you just heat them up at home and on your, in your frying pan, like 10 seconds Mm. on each side. And they're really good. And tortillas are extremely time consuming. So that is one of my foods. And I know, I think it has, it has some sort of oil that's not super great in it. And I'm always Mm -hmm. like, but everything else we're eating is pretty darn clean, right? Mm -hmm. I'm using good fats and we're not buying a lot of processed stuff. I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to go to someone's house, I'm not going to ask if they use canola oil because that would be a little rude. I am not going to be, if I had a deathly allergy to it, sure. But you know, I figure 80, 20, we're eating pretty good at home. And then if I'm out and about and I get a little bit of the bad oils here and there, I'm going to be less concerned. That's my, yeah my philosophy. Since we don't yes. have um, like allergies, that's a little different when you have allergies. But. Same here. We are very thankful we don't, but that's, that's a good point. And you also brought up something that made me think of the fact that I've never encouraged my kids or myself or Bill <laughs> to eat the packaged food at home. Like if you're going to eat it, if it, it's, it's lousy yeah. for you, but at least do it because you're out somewhere and you need to grab that out of my bag, you know, I mean, it's not something we would sit at home and eat. So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And but just last point on that, I will say I've doing a lot of research lately on a lot of things. If you, if you want an interesting rabbit hole to dive down, go look at just the history of the canola oil and the Crisco and the margarine and look at who um, basically caused that to come into the market when it did. And, and like you said earlier, follow the money. Because it's very, very interesting. Once you start to understand why that happened when it happened, it's not this innocent, oh, look, we were trying to better humanity. It was all market plays and, you know, big ag and industrialized situations. So it's quite interesting. So we know there's some history and there's some um, corporations involved, Michelle, but why did we stop using the good stuff? Why did we go from lard, tallow, butter into this world of pseudo fat? I mean, definitely the short answer, no doubt about it, is money. 
there was a lot of money to be made and that's why we went down the road. And of course the marketing side of it, you know, I, I am a marketer and I find it fascinating. And I think marketing can be used for very good things, but unfortunately it also can really be used for really bad agendas. And it, it often is used just to see the rich get richer. <laughs> it's just true. And that's what happened in the case of fats. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't dove deep enough into all of the history to know why the trail happened that it did. But I, I can give you a little bit of facts that I know that I find quite interesting. First of all, back in the early 1900s, there was this Russian scientist. I won't even try to pronounce his name. I don't know his name. Um, but he did this famous study that started this whole thing rolling on rabbits. But this is the crazy thing. We all know that rabbits are herbivores. They only eat plants. But what this guy did was he added a ton of cholesterol, and not just a little bit, a ton of cholesterol to the diets of these rabbits. Well, guess what? They had a lot of heart disease problems. <laughs> and everybody went, oh, no, this must be what happens in humans. But you really can't compare those two things because these are rabbits who are typically on an all-plant diet. So that's the first thing that I always go, hmm, that's a weird beginning to the whole story. But um, then in the 1950s, there was this professor in the University of Minnesota. And I have a feeling there's a lot more to the story. I haven't dove into, dove into it. I just said divin. I don't know what I just said. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't dived into it really deeply, but his name was Ansel Keys. And he came up with this study that really got the nation crazy against cholesterol. The weird thing is he went into it, and this is what a scientist is never supposed to do. He went into it with this hypothesis and he made all of his evidence from what I have read meet his hypothesis and anything that didn't meet it didn't get included in the data on his charts. So, I mean, for one thing, he studied 22 countries and their diet and if they had heart disease. And in his final study on his charts, I think it was six or eight, I don't know, six or eight countries made it to his charts. He just didn't include the ones that didn't meet what he wanted it to meet. So I was like, okay, was he doing this because he was being paid off by corporations? I mean, maybe, I don't know. But what I did find when I kind of studied it a little bit was there was another professor working with him at the time in Minnesota. And that professor has like gone on the records and been quoted publicly saying, basically, this guy was a jerk. This guy was totally set on meeting his hypothesis. And he was an angry man who did angry things to anybody who had any evidence against his hypothesis. So I don't know if he was on this trip to be famous or if he was being paid off or both, but Basically, his studies were not scientific, but they were the foundation of our nation's war against good fats. Um, and, and he basically single-handedly, I feel like, convinced a lot of people that saturated fats lead to heart disease. Um, but it's just, it's just, the sad thing is what happened because of that is all of a sudden you see ads cropping up in the 50s for the margarines and the Crisco's. And the processed food, you know, and the weedy cereal that are all talking about how they use the healthy oils. And it, it, people bought into it hook, line, and sinker immediately, partially because you have government agencies out there even putting on 
TV shows. There was some like major show in the 50s that was put on by the American Heart Association, like a fundraising kind of thing, where they rolled this out and they said, cholesterol is bad. You should have these other fats. Avoid the bad fats. And um, like what happened was we started eating things as a nation that were loaded with the truly bad fats to fight what we thought was a problem because of fat. <laughs> yeah. So we we saw heart disease get no better. Like there was no improvement in the number of people dying from heart disease. And I would argue, I have a hypothesis that our heart disease was um, on the rise because we had already been, our market had already been saturated with processed foods. Like for instance, my dad graduated in 1955. Okay. You're thinking I'm going off topic, but I'm not. And he has a yearbook that he still has today. Treasure. It's my treasure because it has the goofiest pictures of him, you know, but in the back, you know how yearbooks even still today have ads in the back of the yearbook? Mm -hmm. There's yeah. an ad for the little country store in Old Town, Maryland. And when I started studying fats and I started realizing, wait, 1950, like mid fifties is exactly when all this was happening that I'm reading about with this professor in Minnesota and all this stuff. And that's when dad was like, you know, a teenager and what kind of food did he eat? And even though he lived on a rural farm, I know that he had like, like packaged donuts and stuff, you know? So I got out his yearbook and I, I took a screenshot of the picture so I could really enlarge it, you know? And almost everything in this country store was wrapped in cellophane. I saw no fresh food, no fresh breads, no fresh eggs, no raw milk. All I saw was bread wrapped in cellophane, donuts wrapped in cellophane, potato chips up the wazoo, like they had them hanging all over the wall. And Coke, this is a different topic, but Coke and Pepsi piled up really tall towers. This was 1955. Yes. And that's the way we were eating. So I would argue maybe all this heart disease that we were trying to combat by eating processed food was caused by the processed food, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The fifties were such a, it's just like everything changed after world war two. It seems like there was just the farming methods, the food mm -hmm. production. It was just, it's a fascinating time when you start to realize like, how did we get where we are? It's like a lot of it. You can point your finger at the fifties. It all kind of yeah. happened in that time frame, or the forties, forties, fifties. Yeah. 40s, 50s. yeah. Yeah. Because if you go back and you pull up like Google, like anybody who's interested, do this. Google old country store in 1930 and zoom in on those pictures. And you know what you see? You see glass bottles with raw milk lining the counters. You see loaves of bread. You see big barrels filled with carrots and potatoes. Like that's what they bought at the country store, you know? So yeah. it's crazy how things change I in just a few decades. For sure. And I mean, it was such, it was such a marketing push. I mean, genius marketing mm -hmm. to get everyone converted. And then I think there's just, humans tend to go on the pendulum swing, you know, just like back and forth. And I think there was probably so much excitement. They were being marketed to so aggressively. And then it was like, Hey, you don't have to make a cake from scratch ever again. Are you, here's this better oil for you. You don't have to do lard. That's gross. Like you can do canola oil or you can do Crisco. And I think yeah. people just ran in droves and we have, now we're trying to correct it. Um, my, I always think of my grand, my grandma was a really good cook. Like she was a from scratch cook. She was a farm girl. And after she died, my mom found a bunch of her recipes and she called me up and I was, you know, newlywed and said, do you want to come look through grandma's recipes? And I was like, heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause I want to get all our secrets for her from scratch. And so I was super disappointed when I started to look through because 
Um, every recipe in there was with had oleo or margarine and mm. Crisco and Jello mix and Betty Crocker cake mix, and it was yeah. all like canned soups and stuff. And I, I think she still cooked from scratch, but she had that in her head, and she was collecting all the bright and shiny recipes of her era, and that was cool, and it was it was fun, and it was exciting. And I don't I don't fault her for that. Everyone was doing that, but it was it was kind of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. And then I don't know if like. See, when I was growing up in the 80s, I feel like my dad's generation and my generation were both like hit by these scams and it was all around fat because I remember vividly Mm -hmm. in the 80s, I graduated high school in 87 and I remember this craze about low fat and I I remember the Oprah episode. It was, I, I thought it was so gross. Oprah pulls a, um radio flyer. Is that what you call the red wagons? She was pulling the red wagon across the stage. This was right after her first, you know, was it like 10 different times she did it, but her first major weight loss, you know, and she was pulling this wagon loaded with animal fat. And it was the equal amount of animal fat to equal how much fat she lost. And she was like, look at how gross this is. And that's how we all saw fat. Like it was repulsive. It was gross. We didn't want it on our body. We didn't want it in our diets. But again, the way we started this whole conversation, sorry, guys, it is in every cell in your body and you need fat. It is not gross. Um, But when I started researching, so what happened in the 80s and why was Oprah so crazed about her fat and why did I personally think fat was so bad? Um, In 1984, there was this conference. It was like, I think it was called the Cholesterol Conference, something like that, put on by different factors of the United States government, you know, different agencies. Um, and basically it was, it was a campaign against cholesterol and it, (laughs) it all of a sudden everybody got to this conference and just like that on the turn of a dime, the minimum amount of cholesterol that, that they recommended would be in your diet dropped dramatically, like out of nowhere, I can't find any explanation. I don't think they gave an explanation. It was just like, oh, these are the new standards. Okay. And doctors literally were campaigned to. They were sent a kit of information. And they were basically given ads for margarine and Crisco. And they were told, tell your patients this. This is the better fat, you know? And I think a lot of doctors even bought into it because marketing is usually successful. (laughs) Um, and so, I mean, you literally see ads from this time period. I actually, this is another paper I have with me because I, I wrote down some of these ads. One of them was for Fleshman's margarine. And it literally said, ask your doctor about the benefits of Fleshman's margarine. And this was an ad right around this time period. Like really go ask my doctor about the benefits of hydrogenated oils. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I think the doctor would have been on board, you know? Um, yep. There was one, Wheaties may help you live longer. Now, they did put the may because I'm sure they had lawyers that told them they had to put the may, but yep. Wheaties may help you yeah. live longer. And Wesson is for your heart's sake. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mazzola yes, yes. Mm-hmm, assured the public, science finds corn oil important for your health. <laughs> And then Wesson also had another ad, use it to your heart's content. But I thought this was the best one. Fletchman's decided to get really smart in the 80s. They thought they were being really smart. And they used their brand name 
as um, a verb, as an action verb. And they had all these ads, this whole campaign that said, Fleshman's a loved one today. What? Fleshman's a loved one? (laughs) That can work sometimes, but not with that name. I know, that's what I thought. Change your brand name if you're going to do that. But you see all these ads in this series of the husband and wife and the husband's talking about how, because my wife loves me, she switched out our butter for margarine, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, brilliant marketing campaigns, like definitely brilliant, but, and it worked, but it did. It did. I still today, sometimes like I see the adjective low fat and I just instantly think, oh, that's the better option. I, I, is it horrible to him that? It's just true. It's that how, no. it's how ingrained it is in me. I have to question, I have to tell myself, no, Michelle, fats are good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, and then it, I remember like the first few times I did use lard, like I'd read the books and I was, had seen the research and I was like, no, I feel like this makes sense. But I still like in the back of my mind, when I was using the lard or using the tallow, I'm like, oh gosh, like what if this is really the bad fat? Like what if I'm really just like blinders on and I'm not understanding or what if I'm making a mistake? Like it's, it is so culturally ingrained in us, all of those things. Yeah. So totally fascinating. Just, I love, I don't, the history of processed food fascinates me how it came to be. It just, I know one of my favorite things to research. Yeah. I mean, history, I'm a history geek anyway, but yeah, it is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So We've talked about history. We've talked about seed oils. Stay away from the seed oils. If people are trying to decide, like, which one should they try using first, tallow or lard? Like, what are some bits of advice you have along those lines? Oh, gee, I've never used tallow, so I have no idea (laughs) on a personal level. that's fair. But (laughs) um, But I could tell you, like, they're both super fat, so you can't go wrong. You really can't. They're both really good for you. Um, I think... The main thing I understand from reading about tallow is if you, and and you've already said this actually in this episode, that if if you want to bake with it, if you want to put it in your cookies and your cake and your pie crust, I'm guessing lard is going to be the better option because of taste, especially Mm -hmm. if you're using the leaf lard, because then you have no trace of any pork flavor whatsoever. Um, But they're both good. They both have vitamins. They both... um, You know, they're really good for all those things that we talked about that fats are good for. Um, tallow mm-hmm. is, I think you said this hard at room temperature, right? And lard is going to be hard, spreadable. Yeah. So that might be something else that matters for one reason or another to you. And then if you're really looking for vitamin D, mm-hmm. lard would be the one to go for. But if you want to be able to make your bombs and other things, then you want a multi-purpose fat, go more with the tallow maybe. Yeah. I think for the skincare, which we haven't talked about skincare yet. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, I know tallow is going to be your body care oil. <laughs> right. Well, I don't know much, but I talked to Emily Toops and she, uh, she, oh, that's right. Me, but, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. You, you guys she go back awesome. and listen to that episode. It was last season. It was like end of 2021. She came on. Um, so yeah, tallow is going to be candles. It's going to be soap. And I have made a hundred percent tallow bar. I think I even have a recipe for that on the blog. Maybe. You do. You do. Uh, it's yes. hard and it doesn't, I do. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what I have on the blog anymore. I can't remember. Um, it's, it doesn't lather a lot. So it's a very utilitarian bar. It's not like a luxurious bar. Um, so you might want to add in like some coconut oil or some olive oil. If you just get into like basic soap ratios, you can kind of start figuring out which ones make a softer bar, which ones make a, a lathering or a more moisturizing. Tallow gets the job done and it doesn't, 
I don't really feel, I didn't feel like it was drying necessarily, but it just wasn't bubbly. So if you want the bubbles, right. add something else in there. Yeah. Um, and then I also use it for sauteing. Like I can break off a, a hunk and melt it in my frying pan and saute. When we were, um, I just, just, just brought this to mind. When we were hanging out with Justin Rose at his house uh, a couple months ago, he, he was on a previous episode um, yeah. to this one. So you guys can go listen. We talked about the animal-based diet, but he, you know, they're eating a lot of fat and a lot of meat. And so he like roasted chicken one night and he took chunks of just scoops of tallow or chunks of tallow and put it on top of the chicken thighs hmm. and then put that in the oven and let that kind of baste hmm. uh, as it goes. So to, I'm trying to think like flavor wise, I know lard can have a mild to medium bacony taste, depending on how it's processed and how, where the fat comes right. from. Tallow has, it has a distinct flavor and I can't quite describe it. It's not super beefy to me. It's, it's not an offensive taste at all, but it ha- it does have a, an animal-ish taste, but I don't know how to describe it. So that feels like it's very not helpful, okay. <laughs> but you can taste it a little bit, but it's not overwhelming. It's not like okay. bacon fat level of flavor, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like lard, like my lard sticks I was showing you, the negative to them versus butter is they really don't have any flavor. Whereas, you know, butter, sometimes you want that buttery flavor. So I liked what you said earlier about mix them, use half butter, half lard, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't be butter for that kind of stuff for the, yeah. the flavor. Yeah. The best. Yeah. Um, how do you render, how do you render your tallow or no, your lard? That's what I meant to say. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, What's your process? I simply put it on the stove. It has to be a day that I'm going to be around for the day, you know, and I'll do it on a low temperature. I have a nifty, it's, I'm sure there's a professional name for it, but it's just a thermometer. That's like a gun that you shoot the little, and it tells you the instant infrared, oh, yeah. I guess is Those what you cool. should call it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so that makes it really easy to tell the temperature. So I'll just keep that beside my pot. I will literally set a timer because I'm so bad, Jill. I'll get sidetracked and I will forget that Same. there's a pot on the stove. So I set a timer. I think one of the very first times we ever just walk away. (laughs) I I think one of the very first times we ever talked, like way back when, when we actually were on the actual phone in an actual phone conversation. I think you told me that you use sometimes the smoke detector as the fire alarm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Jill, that's exactly what my family (laughs) tells me that the smoke detector should not be a fire alarm. I mean, should not be a, not a fire alarm, a dinner bell, (laughs) a dinner bell. A dinner bell. It should be a fire alarm. (laughs) It should be a fire alarm, but not, not the dinner bell. Right, right, right. Not at the same time. Yeah. Um, So anyway, so I'll set the timer for 40 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. And then I'll just go back every time and just check the temperature. And usually for like three or four hours, absolutely nothing happens. I mean, it does melt a little bit. It starts to turn more liquidy. Nothing exciting happens. And then I'll start to notice that it's maybe half liquid now, maybe three or four hours into it. So I'll start stirring it every time the timer goes off. I'll just give it some stir, you know, to move it around in there. And I'll just keep checking the temperature. And if it's getting really close to 220, Sometimes I'll turn my burner down a little because I really don't want it to go over 220. That's just the mark that I, I don't know. So I probably read that somewhere. Um, and if it goes over that, that's when you tend to get more of a pork flavor. But if you keep it at 220 or below, it's going to be more of a pure flavor. And I find it takes anywhere, you know, depending on obviously how much, but if I'm doing that big pot I was talking about anywhere from like eight to 12 hours, depending on different factors, Like I'll literally, if I'm going to be going outside or something, I'll move it off the burner, 
I'll put a lid on it to hold the heat in and I'll just walk away from it for an hour. Come back, put it back on the burner. It's really forgiving. It's really easy. And then when it's almost done, you're still going to have these chunks of fat swimming around in it. The first time I ever made lard, I was like, is this ever going to be done? Like I waited for hours and kept stirring and those chunks just never disappeared. I'm like, what's going on? And then I learned, oh, those are cracklins. (laughs) So um, you take those out. I actually use, I know there's a name for this too, a big spoon that you use for cheese making, you know, it's like round and has the holes. Is there? Oh yeah. 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 I don't know what it's called, but I have one. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. It's awesome for this purpose. I'll use that to get all of the uh, cracklins out. And then I will always filter it twice by filtering. It's just putting Mm. um, like a, a towel that I don't care about, you know, that's like a, what's the word, not cheesecloth, but kind of an open weave, putting that over, um, what's the word, Jill? Just like a linen, my... like a linen or tea towel or I know what you're saying. <laughs> what's the oh, tool? Oh, the strainer. 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 I'm like, it's not the, sifter. It's yeah. not sifter. <laughs> It's those really yeah. hard scientific facts about lard. Like what do you call a strainer <laughs> okay. that I just can't quite nail down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I put the strainer over the bowl with the, you know, with the towel and I'll pour it all through that. Then I will move that to a separate bowl and pour that back through. So I'll just strain it twice. And that's just really because I want that you know, I want this really white, if I can get it, white, crystal clear. I mean, crystal is not the word because it's definitely not clear, but pure looking lard and not have that pork taste. So I'll strain it twice. And then at that point, it's ready to either go in your jar or into your mold. And I only have a certain number of molds. So this last batch that I told you I had the nine pounds of sticks, I had to put them in the freezer in three batches. Mm-hmm. So I just left my pot on the stove at a very low temperature with the lard in it. So I didn't, I only did enough for each mold, you know, and then in about an hour, those were done, pop those out, do my next batch. So that added like three hours to my time. But I mean, I was just at home doing things around the house anyway. So it was worth it to me to get them all in stick form. Yes, that I like that. Yeah. And you might've said this, I'm sorry if I missed it. Do you chop your fat before you start the rendering process? Are you chopping that into chunks? Oh, that's a great question. I just skipped right over that. Um, I mean, I have just put the whole big chunks kind of with the leaf lard. I don't know if it's the same for the the cow, but with the pig, it's kind of just these big, long pieces and I can kind of fold them. There is usually a membrane, like oh. this really thin layer of skin that separates yes. it from the organs. So I'll pull that off, but if it doesn't all come off, no biggie. That just is part of the cracklins then. Um, so I'll pull that off. I'll kind of fold it and shove it. I've literally done this, like shove it down in the pan, you know, and just let it melt. But that takes longer. So usually, yes. This is a very long answer, but I could have just said, yes. <laughs> usually I will chop it into pieces, but you don't have to. Yeah, I don't. I, I usually chop mine and I don't love them. It's just tedious. And especially because the first few times I did it, they were like, it needs to be uniform pieces and they need to be a quarter inch thick. Oh my goodness. Really? You read that somewhere? Dicing it out. And then yeah, I did. And so I did that and I was trying to peel the, the cellophane waxy stuff off, whatever I need to figure out what that's called. Um, 
And, you know, with the beef fat, it was a big wad of, it was a big chunk of fat and I was miserable. So since then mm. I have a lot more just like hack it up into some chunks yeah. and stick it in there. Now, the other thing what is do you, uh, if you like is, your butcher and your butcher likes you, you can request them to give you the lard a certain way too. You know, our butcher will do that. He'll, true. the first time he gave it to me, yes. it had the back fat on it. And I was like, I had so much trouble getting that off. It wasn't that it was hard, but it probably took me 20 minutes, you know? <laughs> and and yeah. I knew he had an awesome setup that he could just do a few cuts and it'd be off. So he said, oh, sure. And he, yeah. he now takes that off for us. The skin. Did I call it fat? The skin. Yeah. The skin. Yeah, I think you said skin. Okay. Does the, does the smell bother you when you're rendering? You know, it doesn't, but... I mean, it does have a smell. I've just never really thought about it. It definitely does have a smell. Does it bother you? I think maybe, I don't like the smell of rendering tallow. It just doesn't. And, and it's hard to, people have asked me, it's hard to explain. kind of like the taste. It doesn't taste rancid or rotten or, or it doesn't smell rancid or rotten or gross. It just, there's a very distinct smell that I don't love it. I mean, and Christian and the kids don't love it. So it's one of those things that I had an outdoor stove or outdoor stove or outdoor kitchen, I'd probably do it out there. Okay. Hmm. But maybe the lard is more, maybe it's less strong. I don't know. I would never have maybe considered doing it outside. Yeah. So it must be less strong because I would never, I've never even thought of that doing oh. it outside. It obviously doesn't bother me. And I just did it last week. So yeah. it's cold here in New England. I didn't have any windows open, you know? <laughs> I mean, definitely you can yeah. smell it. I don't want to sound like, oh, it smells like roses, but it, it, I, I would never mm -hmm. call it offensive. I mean, I keep thinking, what can I say it sounds yeah. like? And all I could think of is fat. It smells like fat. <laughs> like, yeah. The, yeah. There's a distinct, there's a distinctness to the towel. Again, it's not, it's not like nasty. It's just, I remember the, uh, I think it was my last pregnancy. I get really bad morning sickness. And I thought in the first trimester and I thought I was over it. Like I was like, we're good. I'm, I haven't thrown up in a while. I'm going to, life, mm -hmm. life as usual is commencing. And I'm like, I'm going to render tallow as my inaugural <laughs> activity as I'm now feeling like a human again. And I threw up all over the place. It was, it was of course, that's not, that's not a good, I don't, okay. Just to be fair, I don't throw up when I render tallow when I'm not pregnant. That's the only pregnant thing, but maybe that's part of my bad association. Maybe I should just blame it on that. That could be an ad for Crisco. It won't make you throw up, but actually it probably would. It, I don't know. it, it could it, in, in different ways. Yes. <laughs> different ways. So so we've talked a little bit about how we use the fats, just like on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're using them in, in cookies for your with your lard. What else are you doing with it? Um, I think I mentioned I keep a jar by the stove, and I will use that yep. in my cast iron whenever I'm frying anything. I'll just put a tablespoon or so of it in there. Um, I keep my jar. So that's usually my back fat that's by the stove. And I'll keep my jar okay. of, of leaf fat. I'll actually just keep it in the pantry and... If I know, like if a recipe calls for a tablespoon of butter and I want to use that instead, I'll just grab it and use it that way. But like I said, if I'm doing the cookies or something, I'll get my bars and use them. Um, and then the call fat that I showed you, that's that lace fat. I'll, mm. I told you I use that for sausages, but I also like to wrap it around pork loin. And it's basically like having a giant piece of bacon wrapped Ooh. around your roast. It makes it more tender. Yes tiny bit of hint of more bacony flavor and it's just it makes it really pretty too because you sear it with that on it and it's just yeah it's a good fat <clears throat> what about you what do you do that with your tallow amazing. on a regular um, basis i would say right now i'm using tallow more than anything on my face oh. <laughs> it's been my hmm. new 
it's kind of what reignited this episode. Like I've talked about fat before, but I'm just like super excited about Tala lately because after talking to Emily from Tubes and Co., and I ordered some of her frankincense tallow balm as a moisturizer, and I've really been liking it. I just hmm. really enjoy it. And I've kind of been phasing out a lot of my other lotions and stuff. And um, I, want to, I want to try making my own tallow balm. I don't know why I haven't. I've done all kinds of other lotions and balms, but I, that's kind of on my I don't know why. You have all DIY this free list. time in between writing your chapters. I have so much free time just stuff. to experiment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much. Huh. But when you, um, but I, it's not, I've been really it's a hard, it's like a hard bar, right? And you're rubbing, is it the heat of your fingers that's making it soft and then you put it on your face? So she has hers mixed with olive oil. Like, okay. and um, most of the recipes online are having you mix it with some olive oil and kind of whip it. Have you ever done the whipped body butters before? Like mm-hmm. they're all over the place. It's kind yeah. of like that because otherwise okay. I think if you did try to just pour it into a little jar, you would never get it out. Um, and then it's still pretty hard. So that's maybe one of the, the disadvantages of using it is like with my plant-based oil creams, my face creams in the past, you just scoop it out and rub it on. It's liquid basically almost. And this is, it's not rock solid, but I have to get it out and kind of warm it up a little bit and then rub it on my face or, or my, the body heat of my face. Does that, right. does that, does that make sense? My face heat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I mean, your face is part Um, of your body. You're good. My face heat melts it. (laughs) It's melting it as it's going on. But it feels just really buttery and smooth. And I've been really happy with it. So I'm I'm Hmm. officially converted. Yeah. That's cool. So that's how I've been loving the tallow lately. That's cool. Yeah. Um, So if someone is not able to render their own lard and tallow, where would you recommend they start looking? Uh, the first thing I would say is, do you have anybody locally who raises cattle and sells the meat like the awesome winger family? Or do you know a pig farmer nearby like what we do here? Um, we in New Hampshire are not allowed to sell parts, bits and pieces of the pig unless everything is totally USDA certified, which leads to a whole nother ball of wax for us. Um, So we are allowed to sell a whole pig or a half a pig. So that's how we do it. So you can't come to our farm and buy just lard, but you guys, you can, you sell tallow on your website, right? We're, we're waiting for our our current batch of beef to get back from the butcher. Um, But we will have tallow. Yes, we will have not tallow. I will be fat that you can render into tallow. Okay. Um, oh, I haven't seen it. Maybe someday I'll render it and sell it pre-rendered, but yeah. Yeah. Um, What's the name of the, that will the be fat? Is it called soot? What's the name of the fat before it's suet. tallow? Suet. I always say soot. I don't know. Um, why. Suet. For beef, yeah, suet. Soot. Okay. It kind of looks like soot, but it's suet. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, if you can find someone locally, that is always what I recommend your best option. But if you, if, if you don't know of somebody and you're searching, there is a website that actually I need to get our farm on. I just haven't made the time to do it. It's called, um, I think it's eatwild.com. And I think every state in the nation is on there and broken down by sections of the state. And you can look for pork. I think they have things like eggs and, Mm -hmm. And uh, produce, I think there's, you can look for a lot of things there. Um, So that would be a way you could find a local farmer too. But you definitely can order it online. I mean, this stuff is making a comeback and you really can find companies selling the good stuff. Like you said before, make sure it's not hydrogenated. Check that it's the good stuff. But you can go to Azure Standard and you can order tallow. You can order lard. 
And also, I would say, I know this is an episode all about tallow and lard, but there are other good fats. I use avocado oil and I love it. Mm -hmm. That's a liquid fat, but it's great for liquid fat purposes. Um, There's palm oil, there's coconut oil, all of those good fats you can buy at Azure Standard. So you can even just go online and order. Of course, they're a higher price tag. We all know that the good stuff is it's just more expensive to source. There's no way around it. That's that's why margarine and Crisco became popular because they're cheap, but they're also so bad. And I'd say animal products, especially fats, fats and animal products, or if you're going to invest in better food, start there because that's some of the, mm. they carry some of the stuff that's going to be really, really hard on your body. So if you can swap out, that's where I always recommend starting. Start yeah. with swapping out fats and then start swapping out like, um, some of the dairy and some of the meats, because those animal products are the ones that if you're eating conventional, you're eating kind of the, the food pyramid recommendations. That's where you're going to have the biggest negative effects, I feel like. Yeah. Well, Michelle, we have gone way over our time. I know I it's horrible. Because this was so fun. <laughs> we are like so fun to talk to you. Um, you yeah. Too. So where can folks find you? If, I mean, you, we talked about fat today, but really one of your biggest <laughs> bread and butter pieces of homesteading is syrup yep, I'm actually, and tapping yep. trees. And you are the queen of, can, can you read it yeah, or is oh, it backwards? Sugar maker. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Life is sweet. Thank yeah. you, sugar maker. Um, um, but I like yes, it. actually true story. This made Bill's day yesterday and he got the biggest kick around the dinner table when I told him this story. Again, I'm not going off topic. I am answering your question. <laughs> this is why our episode is so long, though. I'm sorry. Um, it's all good. I had a follower on Instagram, which, by the way, is one place you can find me under solely rested, S-O-U-L-Y dot rested. Um, but she, her son was at Tractor Supply, and he's like, Mom, we have one tree. Can we buy the bucket and buy a tap and tap a tree? She's totally convinced because, you know, 10 year old eager sons will do that. She does it. She gets home and realizes she doesn't know how to tap a tree. So she goes to the library. She brings home a pile of books. She's the most excited because one of them about sugar making has a foreword written by Joel Salatin. She looks at the front, looks at the author's name, doesn't mean a thing to her. She flips it open and starts looking at the pictures and goes, oh, I recognize this guy. She recognized Bill. She said, that's solely Rested's husband because she didn't know my name, right? So my name's yeah, on the front of yeah. the cover. She had no idea she knew me. She's been following me for two years on Instagram. But the second she saw Bill, she's like, oh. <laughs> I know that guy. So Bill loved that story. And he joked around, did you tell her that I would autograph a copy for her? <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Bill's the point is, you can find me under solely rested, um, even though, you know, you don't have to know Michelle Visser. You don't have to know my name. You can find me there. But also, my um, podcast is Simple Doesn't Mean Easy. Find it on a podcast player. Our next season, by the way, that I'm starting, it's going to roll out in a week or so, is all about making real food convenient. My followers have been mm. asking for this, and I'm really excited about it. So it kind of relates to what we're talking about here, even. Um, yes. And... And anything about pork, if you want to know about rendering lard, you want to know about how to bake with it, you want my cookie recipe, go to solelyrested.com. I'll leave that link in the show notes of this episode. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. It was a blast. I'm sure we'll have to figure out our next topic to talk about. Yeah. So fun. But thank you for bringing all the research and all of the lard info. And I, I learned stuff. I'm sure everyone else did too. So it was so fun. Thanks for the idea.